For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm inside, but I'm wearing a stocking cap. Hello, everybody, to the Big Six Podcast. Uh, Sam McKinnon along with Evan Bland here on a frosty Thursday. It's going to get even colder. Um, it's been a uh, busy week of Husker sports already. Evan, how are you today? Hanging in, Sam. We're hunkering down here, what, on a, a midday Thursday, ready for snowmageddon coming in. Uh, it's all good, man. It uh, it reminds me of a pro tip I once received. Uh, if, you're, if your car is stuck in the snow, you put some towels under the back of your tires and it allows you to back out. So anyone listening who may get stuck in the snow in the coming days in the area, that's a little tip uh, when I was living in an apartment that saved my bacon more than once. So I always think about stuff like that when, uh, you know, the, the snow's set to arrive like a like a looming specter. Yeah. Ah, that's good to know. Yeah, a little fun fact. Uh, I think I tell you, you're full of them. Uh, very handy of your of, of you to to think about that. It feels like it's already been snowmageddon this week. We've missed two days of school. Um, probably going to miss another one on Friday. So yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting week <laughs> in the household of people who have kids that are going to school. It's also been a really interesting week in in the room of at Nebraska athletics. We're going to start where we, where our primary beat is, if that's okay, and that's football. Um, we're a football podcast first and foremost. And so I know Nebraska beat Purdue and we'll get to that in a second, but I want to be able to start with Husker football. And, um, it's been an interesting week there, a team that we didn't think was going to get a lot of transfers. My goodness gracious, me has added four transfers in the last six days. That's something. And all of them have been on the offensive side of the ball too. Yep. That's right. The, the Micah Mazuka one, <clears throat> to me, is sort of a, a, a unique moment in the brief history of Nebraska and the portal because usually you see these things coming. Like they come on official visits and that indicates interest and they go from there. Mazuka was a guy a year ago who visited Nebraska, had him among his finalists, chose Florida. And so to my knowledge, he was not on anybody's radar coming into this week as a guy that they – could potentially add. And if it weren't for the NCAA ruling that multi-time transfers uh, undergrads can move and have immediate eligibility, he would have gone to the NFL. And instead, uh, middle of the week, he just, he puts out there, he's coming to Nebraska and like, boom, just like that. They've got a multi-year power five starter at guard coming in <laughs> to a team that just so happens to need one and, and possibly two starters at guard depending on what Ethan Piper decides to do coming off his knee injury. So like that to me was, was, I mean, it was just remarkable. Like as much of a heater as Nebraska was on anyway with guys like Isaiah Naor and Dante Dowdell, like to get Mazuka in to me was like the ultimate heat check for what Nebraska was doing. And then today uh, here on Thursday, they add, um, you know, their, their next piece in Jamal Banks, the receiver from Wake Forest, like it just, you know, again, furthers, this idea that Nebraska is so good at identifying what they need, bringing in those guys, leveraging relationships. And like you said, everybody this month is on the offensive side. Everybody's going to be in contention to be a starter next year for Nebraska. All those guys could be starters for Nebraska next season. So really remarkable week in the portal for sure. And Stefan Thompson of Syracuse might, you know, commit as a linebacker soon too. Uh, that would be the last one. I know you've been doing all the transfer stuff. I really it, it liked your conversation with Jamal Banks. We're recording this on a Thursday. You talked to him, I think, this morning. Um, just a guy that kind of knows what he wants and and had other opportunities. I think this is the key. Uh, with Banks, he could have gone to Wisconsin or Purdue or Minnesota. He did make a visit to Michigan. I don't really know what the story is there because I don't know that Michigan knows what they're doing um, after they won the national championship. Um, and we'll talk about that, too. 
but Banks just seems like a kid that really understands what what he's coming in coming here to do. Really mature kid. I mean, he offered some of his life story growing up, and and he had, you know, different things in life growing up in Washington D.C. that I think shape a guy and and has really made him intentional about how he views life. I think uh, really investing in other people and, and being intentional with what he does. And he saw a lot of those things at Nebraska. He saw that, you know, like what I thought was interesting when you kind of break down why he went to Nebraska, he lists all the stuff that, that most places do, the facilities and the coaches and, and the schemes and all that. But like he, I think he recognized in some of his future teammates, a similar drive uh, that he has. He mentioned Malachi Coleman and Jalen Lloyd and Dylan Raiola, Cam Lenhart. Like I, I think in talking with him, he identified that same hunger, that same drive that he has. Um, and so it, it, to me, this was not a case of like, you know, guy looking for bigger platform, guy looking for better facilities, whatever, because he had a lot of that stuff at Wake. Uh, it was about being around more like-minded people. And and again, he when you look at what he did, um, you know, as a as a playmaker at Wake for two years, like he comes in and and fits what Nebraska wants too. So like he struck me not just as a schematic fit, but also very much a cultural fit as a, as a really mature guy. Kind of reminded me of Smory Toure a little bit from a couple of years ago and how he handled himself. I think it'll be a really good locker room fit as well as on field. Agreed. You know, you you had talked about also Dante Dowdell. You had covered him, you know, and I think talked to his dad. Maybe you talked to Dante too. You did yeah. talk to Dante. Um his factoring in in what he was doing again, Dylan Rail, a part of that recruiting process. This feels like the the addition that most intrigues me, um, mm -hmm. because I feel like you you have a question mark at that power back with Gabe Irvin, and you have a you have a question mark um, with whether Ramir Johnson's going to come back 100 percent from a shoulder injury. It feels like Dowdell has picked the school where he could best have an opportunity to play right away. Yeah, it does. And like you think about some of the guys that Nebraska's missed of late, uh, whether that was Kwan Lacey backing out of the class or A.J. Allen transferring after he looked uh, like a promising young back for Nebraska. Like, in essence, Dowdell makes up for that. He's got three years left, um, you know, and he was, again, somebody who like circumstances were really unique that brought him to Nebraska. He said if they had redshirted him. In four games, he probably would still be there. And it just so happened he appeared in six. If uh, one of their other starters ahead of him hadn't gotten hurt and medically redshirted, <clears throat> he would have stayed because he would have likely been the number two guy there and split carries. And so neither of those things happened. He's a running back. He felt the um, the urgency, I suppose, the, the clock ticking when it comes to that position in particular. And, I mean, Nebraska lands a top 10 back at that position from the 23 cycle. And, and you've mentioned it in your takes, like he's got a really unique blend of power and speed comes from a, a grew up in sort of a military background. So he's, he's been about hard work his whole life, just has the mentality that you're looking for. Um, and again, somebody else who really connected with Dylan Raiola on campus over the weekend fits a, a, a position of need, certainly for what Nebraska has. And it sets up a really interesting spring competition. Don't you think with Irvin and Ramir, Emmett Johnson, who got a lot of run last year, Quentin Ives, it's going to be a really interesting battle. Yeah, I'll be curious to know if, if Gabe Irvin and Ramir Johnson are healthy enough to participate in spring camp. I'm not sure you need Ramir Johnson to participate in spring camp because I think you know what Ramir can do. Mm -hmm. And it's a shoulder injury, so it doesn't affect his his bottom half, his legs. Um, Irvin had a hip injury, so you absolutely need to see what he can or can't do, and maybe he can't do much during spring he's a great kid great culture kid um, but you have to figure out what he can do physically Emma Johnson's a player that I'll be honest with you outperformed my expectations now what the hell do I know but I thought he played pretty darn well last year uh, kept things between the tackles held up physically um, played well in fourth quarters broke tackles had the huge run at Wisconsin to help them get down there and have an opportunity to tie that game and go into overtime uh, had the huge touchdown run against Purdue, did a lot of his best work in the fourth quarter. Um, and then we don't know anything about Ives other than what I've heard rumblings is they like him. But they didn't want to show him because they they didn't put him out there. And they had opportunities to do so, and they just didn't do it. So maybe they're hiding him because they feel like he's got some 
some really nice pieces at the same time. They didn't have a moment in the last five games of the season. Was it the last five games, four games? They didn't have a moment in the last four games of the season where they where they were even like ahead. Raw <laughs> nail biters. Yeah, everything was real tight there in the last four games of the year. So it wasn't like they were in moments um, where they could do other things. I will be intrigued to see how Dowdell fits in. He plays between the numbers, uh, which probably doesn't isn't a term that any coaches use. But what I mean by that is he is not necessarily looking to get to that lane between the numbers and the and the uh, and the sideline where there's oxygen out there. But a lot of times it takes a lot of energy to get out there, um, and a lot of times guys can try to take that securitous route and they don't they actually don't gain any yards. Whereas Dowdell is a one cut and go guy. What that means is, is his shoulder pads may be perpendicular or at a 70 degree angle to the line of scrimmage. But once he makes that cut, the the shoulder pads are square, are square to the, uh, you know, to, to the field. And, and uh, you've got to deal with tackling. And I think they need that back. You know, Gabe Irvin is a really good, really good shake for a big guy. He, he can move a little bit at that second level, but, uh, there are times when I wish he would just square his shoulders too. So um, I think Dowdell's a really interesting addition. Let's be clear. And, I, you know, we, we didn't point it out a ton during the season, but this is a team that, you know, had 31 turnovers and then scored 18 points a game during the season. This was the, you know, the worst offense Nebraska's had in 50 years. And, so you can you can make any justification going forward for what you want to do based on that, and uh, you know they've added some players. And uh, how do you say his name? Uh, Mazuka. 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 Like bazooka. With yep. a, yeah, so Mazuka is a player that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that he's a starter. We don't know what Ethan Piper is gonna do, but you know I think he will be a starter, and I think Justin Evans Jenkins will be the other starter. And then you got him Lutovsky in a, in a rotation. He's a guard. So I'm sure they'll find a spot for him. Um, and then if he has to swing out to tackle, maybe he can do that too. The question mark at Nebraska is tackle. Ben Hart and Prohaska have to stay healthy. And then after them, Tyler Kanak, I guess, maybe Raquan Buckley. Cor if Corcoran, done. if he's still there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Corcoran, yeah. Corcoran, I think, is deep down, I think he's an interior guy. I just – and it could be Corcoran. It, it very well could. I think at some point you, that guy deserves an opportunity to play the position that he might play in the NFL because um, I do think Corbett's an NFL player. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch. I think offensively they still have a lot of work to do. I was struck by Banks' comment on Dylan Rayola today related to the spin, the mm -hmm. tight spin that he gets on the ball and the depth that he gets during the course of his workout. That's that's really notable um, that he's able to do that as a true freshman. And that he's able to, you know, uh, get it going, so to speak, quote unquote. So yeah. you know, that's that's something to that's something notable. And then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they added Bly Hill last last uh, semester in December on signing day, and Stephon Thompson to add to. And you know, there's a lot of pieces already on that side of the ball that I think are pretty well set, and they just had to get guys back, and guys are coming back, so. Um, you kind of see where Nebraska wants to go. Matt Rule made an interesting comment this week. So he was at the AFCA Coaches Convention in Nashville, and I think he was still there or he had just gotten back and he did like a 20-minute interview with Brian Baldinger, who's really good, and another guy. And early in the conversation, he says the phrase, we think we can be pretty good pretty quickly. And I don't think he said that because he was trying to make a sales pitch. I mean, they've got... This isn't about recruiting anymore. They've got as many guys as they need. You know, like they just signed 28 in the first class or 29 or 30 and 28 in this one. This isn't like a universe where it's like still about we need to make sure that there's 28 more guys we can draw out of this team. So he's talking about the players who are already here. I don't think he's making a sales pitch. And it sounded like he believed it. He, it was more of a relaxed interview. I don't think he was trying, you know, I don't think he was in pitch mode. Do you? Let's set aside whether we agree with that or not. What do you think he's thinking about as it relates to why he would think they'd be really good? What do you, what what markers do you see that make would 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 make it sense that he would think that? 
Well, I think it's the things that he talks about a lot. I think it starts with the line of scrimmage. You got to like what they have on the defensive line coming back. And, and you know, everyone knows the names with Putmaker and I Robinson and Lenhart and Prince Will and on and on. I think, you know, I listened back to what he said about the offensive line after the season and saying like they, they like the talent and now it's about an off season and strength training and getting stronger. I think you, you got to feel good about that. And then you add Mazuka to the mix there as a total out of nowhere gift um, that they, I'm, I'm guessing we're not planning on. And then again, you look back at the season that they just had, and you mentioned the turnovers, uh, the giveaways on offense, the, the struggles on that side of the ball, historically bad for what Nebraska has been the last half century. And yet, they were five and seven. And so if you if you play back last season with a quarterback that takes care of the ball with some skill players at a couple of different spots, like say receiver and, and maybe a you know a, a versatile running back. Um, I mean, who's to say Nebraska couldn't have won nine games last year? So like I think they were ahead of what they thought they were going to be in year one with some of the players that were there. They saw development from a number of them, particularly on the defensive side. And then you go out and you pretty much hit on on everything that you could hope for. I mean, Raiola was not on their radar until he had a change of heart in December. So you address that position. Uh, you hit on some of the other deficiencies. You get back your defensive coordinator and Tony White. And you've now you're going into year two where you've got the cultural foundation set, where guys know what to expect. They know kind of what things are all about and now it's time to roll like I, I kind of think that's what it is like they put in a lot of the the elbow grease in year one and now it's time to see some of that paying off what do you think yeah I mean so a couple of things that I think are I first of all I like your answers and I think line of scrimmage is legitimate right like in 2024 Nebraska should have a line of scrimmage on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball that, that can win most of those battles. And I include in that teams that you don't necessarily think they should just, you know, smack around. I, I think they're going to be better than Wisconsin on the line of scrimmage. I don't know that I've said that ever yeah. since Nebraska joined the Big Ten. But I think they're going to be better than Wisconsin on the line of scrimmage next year. Because uh, Wisconsin's replacing some stuff. And and so I think there's some of that. I think that's absolutely true. I think sometimes you can say things and mean them, but also mean them because you need to mean them. And what I mean by that is um, Nebraska needs to, to get good quickly. I, I don't think there's a lot of like time to ponder and, and to mull it over. Like I think you, I think it's time to 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 get to be what you to be what you want to be, and and I think the team can get good pretty quickly, but they need to get good pretty quickly because this thing's gonna the train is gonna be moving real quick after this season. You know, twenty twenty four, there is an opportunity, and I think everybody knows it. I don't think they're gonna speak it too much. Um, maybe we as the media will, but I don't know that they'll over they'll overdo it. Um, rhetorically but this is the team that gets to spend the first month of the season at home this is a team that in the first seven games gets to take two trips to the state of indiana which is not known for football and should give husker fans an opportunity to go to some football games um this is a program that has an opportunity to do some things in the front end of that season and it, it needs to not merely be a sense of positivity around it of like, hey, we're going to be good, but also a sense of urgency. And so I think that's part of it. Um, you know, the what you see from the defense should give people a lot of encouragement simultaneously. You know, what 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 needs to happen on the offense is a fundamental unknown. And so I think but I think part of what Matt Rule is doing there is he's also speaking into existence the confidence that he thinks his players need and, and want uh, in order to get where they need to go. There's a bunch of early top 25s coming out right now. I'll probably have one in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to wait until the transfer portal settles out. Tons of people did, for example, a way too early top 25 on Tuesday before Nick Saban retired. Didn't make a hell of a lot of sense. 
nor does it make a lot of sense to do a way too early top 25 when we don't know what Jim Harbaugh is going to do. Like these things matter. Nick Saban just retired. When Tom Osborne retired, Nebraska lost four games the next year. And if Alabama loses four games next year, they're sure as hell not going to be number two in the country. So, like, you can't just do this right away. You have to wait for the dominoes to tip, and then you do one. And so it'll be a week or so. But I'm curious. You know, you you watch quite a bit of college football. You watch the bowl games. I know you're a bowl game guy. Do you feel like the components that Nebraska has returning relative to the components other teams have would – would it surprise you if somebody, not necessarily me, but somebody in the national media said, you know what, Nebraska's going to be in the top 25 next year? Well, we've seen this before. We saw this at the uh, start of the 2019 season when Nebraska didn't make a bowl game and they were put in the top 25. And I know I've heard Adrian Martinez and others from that program at the time say that that probably wasn't the best thing for them. They hadn't earned it. They had to sort of deal with it before they actually made it happen on the field. Yeah, that's on the uh, coach. That's on their former coach. Sure. He needs so anyway, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't I'm going to interrupt you because I you're you're exactly right. Simultaneously, if you're not screwing around with some situation with Maurice Washington for two months in the spring, which they were, which was an issue of their own making, then maybe you prepare and prepare your team a little bit better than he did. Because if you want to point at a year where, and, and I haven't been as hard on Frost as other people have, but if you want to point at a failure, that year was a failure because he did not prepare his team well enough. They didn't go into the season adequately prepared to handle the expectations, including the quarterback. And part of it was because they spent an, they spent whole chunks of the offseason dealing with a a scandal that they didn't have. To so he's right. But that's on their coach. Their coach needed to do a better job. He didn't handle Big Ten media days that year very well. You know, somebody at Bill Moose, you know, set him up with that six and six thing and he didn't handle that well. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Scott did everything wrong in 2021 and 2022, the onside kick notwithstanding. And there was, he got, he got a lot of criticism at times when I thought it was kind of whatever, but 2019 is all on him. He, he, he did not have a good year that year. And, uh, I think that's what cost him. Honestly. He didn't. Eight and four that year. I, I don't know what, I, I just don't think things proceed the way they would have after. So. Yeah. That's an interesting what if. And and that very well may be. The fact still remains, though, that it, Nebraska had no business really being ranked outside of the excitement that they generated late in the 18 season, almost beating Iowa. And Adrian Martinez was a dark horse Heisman candidate and all the rest. But, you know, this, that's all the, fair. but the goalposts have moved, too. I think that's the other interesting part when you talk about like what could uh, like what could a breakout season look like, you know, for the last decade there's no chance that Nebraska was going to play in the college football playoff. I mean, that, that, that might as well have been a different sport that was occurring. There was, there was, you know, outside of the brief moment in 2016 when they started undefeated, like that just wasn't on anybody's radar at any point. But as we kind of, we've talked about that on the show before, like to finish top 15, top 12, to be an Arizona type, to be an Iowa type uh, and be in contention, like for, for something that really matters in November and December. Yeah. I think Nebraska could do that. And they're not, I, I think that they, there is a chance that they could be ranked early in the season because of the schedule and how it sets up, like you said, but also because there is, it feels like there's a strong foundation here. This is not as much as we've been talking about the portal uh, this week. That's not what the foundation of this thing is being built on. It's, it is being built on the, the lines, both sides. It's, it's, now you have a quarterback to build around. And I know the history isn't great about freshman quarterbacks leading the way, but like there's some hope there. There's potential there. There's a, a, a lot of intrigue about what that could look like moving forward. So yeah, I, to answer your question, I, I think there are a lot of pieces uh, that are comparable to teams that you would find in the top 25 along the lines. Uh, suddenly maybe at the skill spots, I still think, 
you know, the back end of the defense, the linebackers and, and defensive backs maybe have a little bit of proving to do um, just through some of the guys that are coming up and, and what they lost. But I think the pieces are there. And like you mentioned, again, the schedule sets up well that, that yeah, I, I think you start off 2-0, and 3-0, and you might see a number next to your name. Let me rattle off these Power 5 names to you. And uh, I'll, I'll ask you the question at the end. Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Iowa, Clemson, Georgia, UCLA, Utah, Rutgers. Do you have any idea what those what those teams have in relationship with each other? You better tell me. Okay. First, I'll ask you the question. How many of those teams, tell me which of those teams that I just rattled off won't be in the preseason top 25? Uh, Rutgers. And maybe UCLA. UCLA, yeah. Everybody else is though, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yep. Yeah. Those are those are those are the the other I think 10 power five defenses that are ranked around Nebraska for total defense from last year. After Rutgers comes Alabama, then Texas AM, then Virginia Tech, then Louisville, Oregon, Miami of Florida, and Florida State. So Nebraska has a top, they have a defense that would tell you they're going to be in the top preseason top 25. The problem is that they didn't have the offense that was commensurate with it. And most of the teams I just rattled off there have much better offenses with the exception five. So, um, and Rutgers didn't have a very good offense either, but it was better than Nebraska's. The point being that like the defensive metric tells you that they're, they're among one of the better teams in the country. Um, the problem is their offense was historically bad. And if they can just get five to seven more points out of that group, there's really no reason why Nebraska can't be where Matt Rule wants him to be next year, which is going into late October, you know, having to field questions about where they are relative to the top 12. And the, playoff, the playoff changes everything. It changes every conversation that we have about college football. 12-team playoff changes everything because there's a team that's, you know, four and two in October that's like, F this, we can still make the thing. We ain't out of anything, right? Like there's going to be a team that's like, yeah, we can go on it. Let's go on it. Let's be the Buffalo Bills. Why not? We can do it. Um, there's going to be a team that's six and one that's going to be like, yeah, we win four more games and we're, you know, we're, screwing around with this playoff thing in early December. So it is, it's going to expand the number of teams that have hope. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a byproduct, it's going to expand the number of teams that are playing their tails off in November. Because it won't be, well, we're six and three, and we kind of already know we're going to a bowl, but we're playing Ohio State this week, and we might fall down 14 to nothing, and then we're going to the Hurt Locker. No. We're down 14 nothing, and our playoff lives are on the line. We're going to play through it. Because if we beat Ohio State, then we might get closer to the playoff, that kind of thing. It's going to make life harder for the best teams. Because now all of a sudden, that, that six and two teams playing for something. They're not just playing for pride or for a feather in the cap. They're playing for positioning. And when you frame it that way, too, I think it – it adds perspective on what we've seen Nebraska do. I mean, the way that they were going to attack quarterback before Raiola made his flip, the way that they've added players in the portal this month, seemingly despite the fact that their roster numbers are way over and that they're going to have to figure that out later, uh, the way that they're reassessing what their offensive staff's going to look like, who's going to coach quarterbacks, how that looks exploring options with a guy like Dana Holgerson. Like, I think that all of that, all those moves illustrate kind of what you're saying where it's like, okay, if you have the defensive side more or less figured out, you have a lot of your, your contributors back there, you feel good about that side of the ball. Then you got to go all in and, and, and get those pieces now and figure it out. And if you can just be, be an average offense, be slightly above average, you know, find uh, a little bit more consistency in special teams. Like there's no reason that they can't get back to a bowl and then quite a bit more. I, I mean, I, I believe that it, I understand kind of the skepticism because 
there's always op uh, optimism in the off season. People have been talking about it for 15 years, you know, is Nebraska back, but I don't know. It feels different. Does it not even, even independent of the 12 team playoff, just what Nebraska is building seems different uh, to me at least, but you, you know, you've been, you, you covered the, the bulk of the Pelini era and all the rest. Does it feel that way to you? Or do you think the playoff is sort of uh, affecting maybe what the optimism could be for Nebraska because the bar is a little lower. It feels different because I think um, the head coach in charge isn't coming into an off season vaguely morose like Pelini. No offense to Bo. He won a lot of games. But like every off season felt tense because it's like, all right, what, what conflict are we going to manufacture to get us going doesn't feel like Riley, that that era never felt like it got on full footing. You never quite trusted it. And then with Frost, it just always felt this, going into spring, it just felt disorganized. And there was always something. First year was Rabdo, second year was Maurice Washington. Um, you know, obviously COVID in 2020 really hurt that momentum. In 2021, the whole stuff with Oklahoma and, you know, dissension and the operation and Bill Moose against Frost. And, and then in 2022, it was, it actually felt pretty quiet, but and then you had the, I don't know, it just, it just always felt like there was something with Nebraska football, always something under Frost. And uh, it doesn't feel like that way with Rule. Um, feels like it's been, you know, you just kind of know he's going to go to work every day and, and try to get the thing better as an organized operation. All right, let's do 10 good minutes on basketball. Um, Nebraska basketball beats Purdue on uh, Tuesday night. It was a magical night. It wasn't a huge crowd. Uh, it was 14-106 listed, but probably wasn't that many people. It's probably around 11 or 12. In 15 years from now, it'll be 25,000 who say they're there. Hmm. Um, and they just – you don't know it when you're at the beginning of the game. You know it at the end of the game. But at the very beginning of the game, Rick Mass hits a three, and it's like, okay, it's on. Like Nebraska was just – they were just dialed in from the very beginning. The defensive plan was really good. They played really hard. They hit a crap load of threes. They hit 14 threes, 14 to 23 from three. You don't do that every day. They right. weren't easy shots. It was a magical night. They just had an incredible night. And they, you know, they ran Purdue out of the gym by the end of it. And – um you don't get many like that. They're not going to have another game like that this year, probably, where they beat a good a team that that good, that soundly. Um, now, what of that? What of what of that is portable? I can tell you this: that Freud Hoiberg after the tank, the game was absolutely happy and excited and all those things. But that dude was locked all the way back in by the end of the press conference because I think he knows you you have to follow up a game like this with a commensurate effort at Iowa, or you may not, you may not get within 10 points of Iowa. So like he was, he was pretty businesslike even afterward, because I think he knows, okay, we beat Purdue. The one thing we can't do now is feel, feel ourselves and then lose at Iowa and Rutgers, which is the next two games up. Right. Yeah. And now, I mean, look what they've done from the Michigan state wind, Indiana to Purdue. And I think the defensive Part of it is the part that travels the best. That's what we've seen from them. Rick Mast defended his butt off. You know, Josiah Alec was was impressive in his moments. Sam Hoiberg, I, I think one of the most impactful sequences in basketball is when you do get a steal and layup. I mean, it's it's a huge swing. It doesn't stress your offense at all. And to, for Hoiberg to to get those two steals and lay-ins on the other side, I mean, we're just huge momentum spots for what Nebraska was doing. And, and it was so many guys contributing. That's the other thing I go back to. There, there was no, you know, 40 point game from somebody, but guys were hitting shots. They were sharing the ball. It looked like an NBA offense. It looked like the offense that, uh, you know, to a, to a point that Fred Hoiberg uh, thought that he was going to bring when he got here, you know, all those years ago now. And so I think it's been interesting hearing the conversation afterwards too, about like how this was Fred's signature win. And typically you don't get a chance to have a signature win this late in a, in a tenure somewhere. Yeah. Um, but they did. And like, 
I, it reminded me, Sam, of a couple of years ago. I mean, the discussion we were having two years ago was, okay, Fred Hoiberg and Scott Frost were both here. They were both offensive-minded coaches. They both had a plan. Neither one of them worked who's going to adapt. And now looking back, man, one of them adapted, one of them didn't. And I, I, it's just incredibly impressive to see the way that that Hoiberg has, has sort of reimagined how he builds a team. It's not all necessarily slam dunk NBA prospects or, or trying to find those guys, but it's trying to find complementary pieces. And for them to do that was, uh, was really, really impressive. And it sets up a pretty exciting couple of months for sure about um, whether they can use this to, to uh, vault toward an NCAA tournament spot and maybe get that, that white whale of a postseason March madness win. Yeah, I think I think that the the Big Ten is is not so overwhelmingly good that you can do what you need to do. But simultaneously, because it's not overwhelmingly good, you probably need to win one or two more games than you normally would have to. Uh, so I, I don't think that you get in with 19 wins. You know, like you're automatically in. 19 is is fine. I mean, I think that's a that's a fine number, uh, but I'm not sure it gets you in. So you know, 19 would be 19 and 12 for those listening. Before you go to the Big Ten tournament, that's the best record they've had in a while. But I don't know that that gets you in. I think I think that this 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 thing moves every single year. And um, shoot, the Big East is going to get seven or eight, and I'm not exaggerating. They are the teams that that are at the top of the Big East are not the teams that everybody expected to be there. So you got to watch that. And the Big Twelve is going to have a crap load of teams because of you know who's there and what they're doing and BYU's in the tournament and Houston's in the tournament. It's going to be like, you know, 11 of the 14 big 12 teams will be in um, maybe 10 or something like that. So this is going to be challenging. I think Nebraska's got two feathers, two key feathers. The first one is they want a Kansas state and that's a big deal. That's a big, big win. Um, I think that one was crucial uh, to, to snag. And, and the second one is this Purdue game, because if you beat the conference champion and, you beat it. You beat in a legitimately good team, which Purdue really is, and you beat them by sixteen. You didn't beat them by one. You beat them by sixteen, and you didn't need overtime. I think. I think the committee's gonna because I think part of committee people are human. They think to themselves on this team's best night, on Nebraska's best night, they won by sixteen over Purdue, and they beat and they won on the road at K State by sixteen. And not only that, they did it in completely different ways. One game was a defensive masterpiece, and the other one was an offensive gem. So I think those things really matter. And I don't think that'll help. That'll for sure uh, help the committee. Oh, let's go to the national football stuff for a second. So Michigan won the national championship on Monday night. And isn't it just like the SEC to steal the thunder uh, two days later with Nick Saban's retirement? Um I have a few thoughts, and I'd, I'd love your 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 thoughts too. Uh, first of all, hmm. first of all, I I, I commend Saban for retiring now um, on a team that he loved versus feeling the need to get to get back to the top. Uh, Alabama has not been the best program in college football now for for several years. Uh, they haven't really been the best program in college football. Um, for a while, they won the national championship in 2020. That counts. It was a COVID national championship. It wasn't a full season. It was a weird season. It was 12 other things. But really, 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 Alabama was an ass-kicking program. What? 2018? 2017? Sure. Yeah. 2016? Now, what I'm saying right now is going to be viewed as blasphemous coming from a Nebraska writer. But, I mean, I pay a lot of attention to national college football. And just so we're clear, Alabama didn't belong in the playoff in 2017. They got in, and they beat a bad Clemson team, and then they beat a Georgia team that wasn't ready to do it. And then 2018, they got their butt handed to them. 2019, they didn't make it. Joe Burrow and LSU won the national championship in 2020. That's a national title. They deserve credit, you know, whatever you want to call it. They did it. They got it done. 2021, they lost to Georgia in the national title game. 2022, they didn't make it. 
to the to the playoff, and then this most recent year, they played their tails off, but they lost to Michigan and and they didn't make it to the national title. Alabama has been the best football program in college football in recent years. They've been maybe the biggest brand, but they haven't been the best program. And Georgia has, and now Michigan has. Like of all the teams that you could imagine, Michigan's way way up there. And uh, I think Saban deserves some credit for maybe knowing that to get back to where he wanted to get was going to take a wrinkle or an adjustment that that man has too much self-respect to make, which is he sees what Ole, he sees what Ole Miss is doing in, with NIL, and he sees what some of these in what Oregon's doing. Dan Lanning, by the way, very smart to remain in Oregon, um, and I think he's just like, yeah, not not for me. Not doing this. Not handing not handing my program over to boosters. Not doing it. And uh and and I don't know that that's all true, but the, the reality is it was gonna get harder and harder. And he reinvented himself once when they <clears throat> I think they lost to Ole Miss a couple of times in a row. And he reinvented himself with Lane Kippen. He went out and he got Lane Kippen and they revamped the offense and they changed who they were and and then they got, you know, the next coordinator and then they got Sark and they reinvented themselves on offense. They were a pro style, handed off, slow, boring offense. They reinvented themselves as a team that, you know, got NFL quarterbacks and all that other stuff. And But I think the next reinvention was going to be on the program management front. And I just don't know that he wanted to go. And um, I think, uh, so he, he retired. And now we need to chart what Jim Harbaugh is going to do. And for what it's worth, Jim Harbaugh, for all of his quirks, seems much more amenable and excited about the future of college football than Nick Saban. He does. <clears throat> and I think he, it helps that he's a little bit younger and he's maybe, maybe going to be a part of that. Um, maybe. I mean, we'll see. He, <laughs> I I think probably more people watched that post-game celebration, or I know I wanted to see what Harbaugh would say in a post-game interview more than I would with uh, what most what winning coaches would say. I, you know, I don't know how many people would have tuned in if Saban had won and given a speech, but like, he just, you never know with a guy like Harbaugh, what he's going to do. Talk about a, a power void at the top of college football though. Like who does Alabama get? What does that look like? If Jim Harbaugh goes, I mean, yeah, Michigan could promote from within and maybe that's not as big of a, of a turnover, but I mean, you combine all that with what we're seeing in, in the NFL with, with Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick moving on from their programs. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. And I think to your point, that's the first thing that I thought was, especially with Saban and Harbaugh was <clears throat> these are coaches who are seeing the times changing. And do you really want to be a part of that anymore? I'll be really curious to see what Saban says whenever he does an interview about it and, and how that breaks down. You know, I kind of felt that way about Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. I mean, you hear how he talks about kind of the climate of college football right now. He strikes me as another guy who, if he's not had enough, he's he's getting awfully fed up with kind of how things are going. Um, and it's different. It takes a different skill set. And I'll, it'll just be really – I kind of feel like in some ways, and we've talked about this with Nebraska too, like kind of feel like Rule is equipped in a lot of ways to handle the current climate of things. You know, five, ten years ago, when you didn't have free transfers, there was more of an emphasis maybe on – the X's and O's and on just pure talent acquisition. And now it right. pays to be articulate and it pays to uh, emphasize relationships because you're, you're recruiting your own roster every year in addition to the portal, in addition to high school. So like in, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I think in real time, we're seeing some of the, the skill sets and what it takes to win at a high level changing as the rules have changed and, you know, guys like Saban who've won, won one way and who adapted um, and you got to give them all the credit in the world for that. At some point, you do kind of have to step back and be like, is this worth it? Is this possible? Is this what I really want to do? And and I agree with you. I kind of feel like maybe that's a realization Saban reached. Well, and is it worth it to go 11 and two? Because to be clear, Alabama would have made the college football playoff every single year under Nick Saban going forward. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. whole team event. They would have made it every year. I, I don't think they would have emerged as the national champion. 
And I don't know if I, I think the guy is wired in a way where it's like, if I can't win it, then I'm not sure I want to do it. And, and if, and if what it takes to win it is to do some things that you don't necessarily want to do, then I think, and he may just be doing it because he's ready to do it. But I think that's part of it too. Like Jay Wright could have won three or four more national championships, probably don't know if Jay Wright had wanted to do what you need to do to win them, but he didn't. And so he walked away and he's a great Fox analyst. I don't know he's on CBS. Um, he's really good at what he does and he's, I'm sure he's making money and maybe one day Jay Wright will return to the NBA or something, but he didn't need to do anything more than he had done. And he didn't want to do what needs to be done going forward in that sport in order to win. And in basketball, it's more, it's really tougher. It's even tougher. Um, because there, you know, you really don't know what, what it's going to entail. And, and there's a lot more teams that can win the national championship in basketball because there's fewer players and so all those things. So like, you know, I'll be curious to see who they hire. I put it on Twitter. Uh, they should hire Dabo Swinney if Dabo wants to go there because Dabo played there and he's won national championships and he doesn't like NIL either that much, but um, I think he would be a good fit there if that's what they want, if Alabama wants that. Uh, I know Dan Lanning apparently was kicking the tires on it. It confuses me, honestly, why Alabama would reach out to him first, but whatever. Uh, he's going to apparently stay at Oregon, released a video to that effect. Uh, welcome to the Big Ten. I, I'll just say this. I like that guy, and I, I, and, and I think he's, he's doing a good job up there. He he'll 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 learn this really quickly. Nebraska learned it. No one's going to be intimidated by Oregon. No one. They're not going to be afraid of it. They're not. You know, no one will be intimidated. The psychological advantage that Oregon enjoy over Washington State or Oregon State or whatever does not going to translate. They're yeah. going to have to earn it all over again. So can they do that? Sure. But they're they're going to have to earn it. Penn State's not going to be afraid of work. Michigan's not going to be afraid. Ohio State's not going to be afraid. Wisconsin's not going to be afraid. Iowa's not going to be afraid. People think Iowa's going to be afraid. Iowa's not going to be afraid. Now, they may not win, but they won't be afraid. No one's going to be afraid of USC. No one's afraid of Washington. Like, those teams need to know because this happened to Nebraska. And when Nebraska went into the Big Ten, they had just finished a 10-3 and three season or whatever it was and were pretty damn good. And they were still in Nebraska in a lot of ways. No one's going to be afraid of these teams. Um, now, they can come in and, and punch Nebraska, punch the Big Ten in the nose and, and, and earn it and steal it. But, no, don't ever underestimate the arrogance of Big Ten. They will not be afraid. So, you know, Dan Lanning can smoke his cigars and – put stuff on film, it, none of it's going to matter. They're going to have to go earn it. It will not be given to them. They'll have to take it. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We're going to find out if Oregon can deal with the physical onslaught that the Big Ten is week in and week out. And people are like, oh, rah, 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 rah. no, I'm serious now. It's one thing to beat one Big Ten team in September. It's another to play nine of them. And there you are in November, and you have to deal with that BS. It's not fun. You don't want it. You, it's different. And people laugh when I say that, but just get in the league, mess around and find out. And we'll see. So he, he's got a whole big thing going on, but he's going to have to earn it in the Big Ten. And nobody's going to look at this guy and go, wow, you went nine and three in the Big Ten. Look how great you are. Because James Franklin's been doing that for five years and nobody's afraid of him either. No one's afraid of Penn State. So, James Franklin's been doing what Dan Lanning's been doing. And nobody looks at James Franklin and says, now there's a guy that should be the head coach of every single team in the country. Dan Lanning's going to find out really fast. It's not easy. That's right. And Washington will too. I mean, they got a taste of having the ball run down their throats for three and a half quarters. So the, the parallels to Nebraska are really interesting. And you laid it out well, but the, the mystique side and the, just the change of the style of teams they play, the weather. You're not playing in California and Arizona on the road. You're playing in Indiana and Michigan and Ohio, and it's different. And I'll be really interested to see 
how quickly they adjust and and you know it's so weird because there's so many moving goalposts because again they could they could maybe Oregon does go nine and three next year but nine and three next year is probably maybe good enough to make the playoff certainly good enough to be on the fringe mm-hmm. so like in one it'll be it's such an interesting juxtaposition because in the one sense you're going to see programs losing more games than their fan bases are used to seeing but at the same time you're going to see programs uh tasting or on the brink of the college football playoff right. in a way that they never were so like how do you square that in your mind uh I suppose they'd take the losses just to have the shot at the national title. For sure. And the way that Oregon's Big Ten schedule is set up next year, they play uninterrupted, uninterrupted, no bye weeks, Michigan State, Ohio State, Purdue, Illinois, Michigan, Maryland, Wisconsin. And then they have a bye week before they play Washington to end the year because that's going to be a rival. But you heard what I just read about there. That's a meat grinder. That's real. Like – Okay, you'll 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 kick Michigan State's ass. Then you'll play Ohio State. You won't kick their ass. And then you have to fly to Purdue. And then you come back and you play Illinois. Illinois is not very talented, but they will hit you. Then you have to fly back across the country to Michigan. Then in two weeks, you have to fly back across the country to Wisconsin on November 16th. And it'll be cold. After you played Ohio State and you played Michigan, and the and the toll accumulates on the body. Somebody there ought to ask Casey Rogers what it's like before Casey leaves, because he can yeah. tell. <laughs> it's a great point. What's it like, Casey? And he'll tell him it sucks. It's hard, and I'm sure, or he would say Oregon's better than all those other teams. I get that, but the physical toll that you take. And I think Casey experienced that in 2021, didn't he? Or maybe he left after the 2020 season. I can't remember. But, like, the 2021 season for Nebraska, like, the physical toll is brutal. It's just – and you have to hold up to it. All right. That is our uh, podcast for this week. Hey, Tom told me back next week. He is driving down as we speak to talk to Fred Hoiberg. He'll have a column on Friday. That's why Tom's not here today. He was on vacation, and now he's back. And he'll be back next week. No worries there. We'll talk lots of stuff like the Husker football. Uh, we missed Tom today too, but um, he'll be back next week, and, and we will we'll get all the thoughts that he has about Husker football, about where the basketball team is, all all the good stuff. Um, yep, yep, yep. So for Evan, I'm Sam. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.